Welcome to Asset Protection Today with Attorney Bill Alexander on News Radio 680 WPTF. Good Saturday morning to you. Jason Kong here with Bill Alexander. Bill, how are you doing? I'm great, Jason. Good morning. Good morning to you. It's uh, We're middle of October here. We're feeling it a little bit, Bill. We're feeling well, it a little no, bit. No question about it. And here, here we have uh, had to suffer a good bit of rain from another hurricane. Uh, fortunately, it's not nearly as bad as it, it was with uh, Hurricane Florence, but uh, at the same time, we we uh, don't really need a whole lot of rain at this point. No, I think we're good. We've reached our quota <laughs> no, for, no the, for the year. No question about it. But uh, uh, at, at the uh, same time, you know, the, the weather has just been – more summer-like, you know, with 80-degree weather, it seems, for the last uh, couple weeks. It's just been pretty amazing. Uh, nice time to be outdoors uh, for a lot of folks uh, until it rains again. But, you know, we do the best we can. That's right. Yep. Anyway, I, I wanted to uh, start out again uh, this morning with some food for thought. Now, you, you know, from my perspective, um, as as most uh, listeners know, I think that I I have a lot of libertarian in me, and I I really and truly believe in individual rights. I think that's really important that we be able to do what we want to do without a lot of government interference, and we, um, you know, as long as we're not hurting other people anyway. That I think that's an important concept, and that. Uh, of course, I believe in trying to protect our assets as well, you know, when it comes to the property that we've worked hard for. Uh, you know, it's important that we are able to do things that keep other folks from taking what we've uh, uh, earned uh, away from us. And there has to be legitimate ways uh, of doing that. And so I focused a lot of my law practice um, on that. But uh, I wanted to start out with uh, a, a right that is precious to every U.S. citizen, or should be. It, it doesn't seem that people seem to think it's precious here. And I, I think it's precious. You know, I've been uh, exercising that right for 39 years at this point, uh, and I hope to exercise it uh, for many, many, many more years. But there's been a lot of political discourse, um, and I'm not talking in any partisan way. I'm just saying political discourse on whether it's needed to um, to uh, have people show. Uh, a driver's license or a, an official government ID card in order to vote. And uh, anybody who thinks that this uh, proposal to have um, the uh, to show an ID card to vote, if anybody thinks it's about keeping the system clean, you're way off track. it's It's all about, power, and it's about keeping legitimate U.S. citizens from voting. And it's as simple as that. And if you don't think, I mean, if, if you think it's easy to get an ID card, visit your local DMV. Uh, <laughs> the last time I went into the uh, DMV, 
about a driver's license matter. I was met with at least 50 people in line in front of me with at least a three-hour wait. Now, maybe it's not quite that bad in some areas, but in Raleigh, if you want an ID card (laughs) or if you want a driver's license, get ready to take all day to, to get that done for you. But truthfully, it's not about protecting the system. It's about power. And why do I say that? It's real simple. People in power always want to prevent folks from voting. In other words, they want to limit the right to vote rather than having anybody who's a U.S. citizen be able to vote. And that's it's real simple. And you know, again, we have the swamp monster, you know, we're talking about the North Carolina legislature that's trying to limit your right to vote. And, uh, you know, who are these swamp monsters? Well, the two leaders are folks who don't, you know, they, they don't have to worry about voters across the state. They only have to worry about their voters in their small district. And, and that's it. And, of course, right now, one of those swamp monsters being investigating uh, for, for self-serving, in other words, making money on the side uh, for political, for what's, uh, <laughs> for his political influence, if you will. And that's pretty scary. But uh, now, the food for thought is coming. This is, um, so here's the question, and I want folks uh, at home to think about this now. This the, the power grab has been true from day one, all right? Now, if, if one of the bad things about this country is the fact that fe- people don't think their vote matters. And the truth is, if you want fair elections, then we need to end gerrymandering. And yes, the Democrats did it. Now, the Republicans have perfected it. And so the bottom line is, is that gerrymandering is evil. <laughs> and the only thing uh, that, that we can do as voters is to uh, get rid of it, vote people in there that will end gerrymandering so that our vote actually does matter. You know, that, that, makes, that is about fair elections, quite frankly. But voter ID is not about fair elections. It's about limiting the rights of people to vote. Now, here's the question. When this country was founded, Jason, what percentage of the population, by law, could vote? Oh, boy. I, <laughs> I don't know. I mean, you, you would think 100%, but that probably doesn't seem right. Uh, well, let's put it this way. You're way off. You would flunk your government course. It's <laughs> par for the course for me. Okay. Do you know what you do? You really want to know what that percentage was? It'll surprise you. Sure. What was it? 4%. Wow. 4% of the folks in this country, when the country was founded, could vote. Now, why? Now, it's real easy to figure part of this out. Why is this true? Well, clearly, half the people couldn't vote. Who was that? Uh, those were uh, Native Americans. No, 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 no. no, no. no. Oh, Come women. on, Jason. Excuse me, women. Come women. on, this is the government civics class. All right, who women. couldn't vote? Women couldn't vote. Absolutely, women could not vote. So, do you think those in power wanted women to vote? 
No. Who who were your leaders at that time? Were there any women? <laughs> there were not. No, all men. So did men want women to vote? No. Absolutely not. Do you know that people were flying in airplanes before women could vote? Yeah, that's kind of sad to think about. <laughs> well, <laughs> that's – now, all right, so we've just eliminated 50%. Who else couldn't vote? Uh, you got your children. Okay, another percentage. That's exactly right. You're right on target. Who else couldn't vote? Oh, boy. Uh, you tell me. Well, if you were black, right. could you vote? You could not. Absolutely not. Was there a fairly large percentage of folks who were – African-American, or African at least at that point, they right. weren't considered Americans at that point, could they vote? They could not. Absolutely not. Okay. And how long did it take for African-Americans to legitimately be able to vote? A long time. Well, a very, very long yeah. time. So again, now, we're talking power politics here. So did the people in power want Africans to be able to vote? No, of course not. Of course not, because guess what? Were there any African or Af what we African Americans who were in political power at the time? <laughs> no. So again, it's power politics. Now, this last one will surprise you, but you, obviously we've already. Uh, now you also have to remember that when you know your your um, what you said about minors not being able to vote. So. You know, the age of minority changed. It used to be 21. So if you were under 21, you couldn't vote, right? Right. Well, what do you think life expectancies were back then? I mean, if you got to your 40s, you were— You were lucky. That's right. That's exactly right. So basically, when you're saying minors couldn't vote, you're really talking about a fairly large percentage of folks. But there's one other group— that, again, will surprise you. Let me ask you this. Do you think all white men could vote? No. Good guess. All right. Here we go. <laughs> I'm on the board. <laughs> because initially, even if you were educated, you couldn't necessarily vote. You had to be a landowner mm -hmm. to vote. And there were a lot of white men who were not landowners. So the bottom line is that in every instance, those groups of people had to do what? They had to fight for the right to vote. Now, by fight, I don't necessarily mean take up arms, but they had to um, uh, push in legitimate ways to get the laws changed so they could vote. Now, clearly, uh, it was the white men who got the right to vote before any of these other groups <laughs> got to vote. But initially, you had to own land in order to vote. And obviously, if you were uneducated, you couldn't read uh, or write, it would have been very difficult to vote. And there were a lot of folks back then who just were not educated and couldn't do that. So, Again, each time it's been a, a battle so that legitimate people, legitimate citizens could actually use their right to vote. And this, this uh, has changed. So the bottom line is, is that 
when uh, initially our country was formed and um, uh, and the the concept of uh, equality among men actually didn't mean all men or all persons. I mean, in each instance, it was a battle so that people could actually exercise their right to vote and be a part of the government, in other words, to have a representative government of all the people. And so, again, every time the people in power are trying to limit our folks' right to vote. And and I say this, it doesn't matter to me what political persuasion you are. This issue is just not right. I represent, as an attorney, I represent a lot of seniors. Well, the bottom line is there are an awful lot of seniors who are lucid, who who have voted all of their life, but guess what? They don't have an ID card, and they they don't have the ability or the inclination to go down to DMV and, and, and spend all day so that they can exercise the right to vote with an identification card. You know, because a lot of seniors, they give up their right to drive because their eyesight goes bad, their hearing goes bad, uh, or they just don't renew their license, or f- whatever it is. But the bottom line is, it's a pain in the rear to go to DMV for anything. And yes, there are an awful lot of folks who do have identification cards, but there are an awful lot of folks who don't. And it's not about party, it's about power. And so, uh, from my perspective, who believes in everyone's right to vote, it's important that we exercise that right to vote. Yeah, that is key. And uh, I hope that everyone goes out and takes care of their registration and participates in the midterm elections this year. A quick break and back. We've got more for you. Stick around. You're listening to Asset Protection Today with Attorney Bill Alexander on News Radio 680 WPTF. You're listening to Asset Protection Today with Attorney Bill Alexander on News Radio 680 WPTF. Thank you for joining us on this Saturday morning. Jason Kong here with Bill Alexander of WG Alexander and Associates. You can find them online at wgalaw.com. That's wgalaw.com. And Bill, we're going to shift gears here and bring on a new topic. And I know you wanted to hit on something between investing and saving. Well, I do. I mean, it's it's important, and, and and of course, for the most part, I'm again talking to my seniors, who are uh, very uh, much concerned about having enough money, not running out of money, uh, being a little more conservative with their money, uh, and that's really important. It's an important uh, fact because when we're when we get to uh, a point where we are retired, uh, then the the great majority of us are truly on what we call fixed income. Now, for some folks, that's uh, simply a Social Security check, and that's the only guaranteed income that we have. Um, <clears throat> and, of course, I talk about 
how to make sure your elections for Social Security are important because for a lot of folks, that's the most important decision they make. And so many people screw that decision up because they really don't understand how the system works and they don't get good advice. So, And I'm not saying to come to Bill Alexander for that advice because I, I basically push folks to Warren Coble down in Ashboro for that a- advice. But it's a really important decision that people have to make and so many people make the wrong decision. But there are an awful lot of other folks that hopefully have money to um, – uh, that's put aside for their retirement years that they can supplement uh, their income with. And that's the money that we as seniors don't want to run out of uh, for all of the needs that we might have. And, of course, we also hope that we have some left over for our children and grandchildren. You know, that's a really important thing. So here's the question for you, Jason, and, of course, for our listeners. What's the difference between investing and saving? <laughs> All right. <laughs> Saving is putting things aside, and investing is putting that money towards something that hopefully gains interest or return on your investment. Wrong. Okay. Yeah, I tell you what, you've you've flunked your civics lesson. Boy, and now Bill, you're, I'm, now I'm you're disappointing <laughs> you all over the place today. So now, Bill. I'm just going to walk now, home. Now, truthfully, though, I mean there, I mean there are a lot of folks out there that would have had said something fairly simple similar. Uh, But here's the real difference. If you are investing your nest egg or part of your nest egg, because it really should be, truthfully, most people need to have investing investments and they need to have savings as well. Okay. So what's the difference? The difference is your investments always carry some risk. Okay. In other words, you could. When I say risk, that means that you could lose some of it in a downturn, in a bad time. You are carrying some risk. Now there are lots of ways to have less risk than uh, other ways. You know, so that's that's important. But so what's the difference with savings? Savings is where you put some of your money where there's no risk of losing your principal, no risk at all, okay? So what um, – and so as seniors, there are advisors who would say you need a higher percentage of savings and less of a percentage in um, – uh, and less of a percentage in investments. But the truth is, at least, and, and that uh, most – seniors, not all, but most seniors really, from my perspective, need to have more investment so that they can stay ahead of inflation uh, uh, over the long term. And of course, as you get really older, then pushing more into savings is important. But but the definition of really older is, has changed because most folks, uh, not everyone is lucky enough, but most folks actually live into their 80s. And there's a fairly high percentage of folks that live into their 90s, and then even more some who live in past 100. So, um, you know, assuming that you're going to die early is a terrible 
decision to make unless you're really sick. I mean, if you have a, some something going on that you know is likely to take you out early, then that's, that is meaningful. But otherwise, if you're still in good health, then uh, assuming a longer life is a much smarter thing to do than assuming an, an early death. Uh, okay, so what are some of the things that you can do with investments that carry some risk? Well, uh, stocks uh, have risk. Mutual funds have risk uh, and significant risk in terms of if that's all you're investing in. Exchange-traded funds, which you've heard me talk about as a, uh, uh, an alternative to mutual funds, um, has carries risk. They all have market risk. Bonds, bond funds have market risk as well. You know, if interest rates go up, bonds go down. If interest rates go down, bonds go up. So, you know, they that uh, is a meaningful thing. It does carry risk. Now, there are folks who will tell you that if you buy a bond and hold it to maturity, there's no risk of losing your principal, and that's true. However, most people truthfully don't hold bonds to maturity. And so if you're in that category of investors, then you, in fact, do have risk with, with bonds. And bond funds always have risk because the bond, bond manager is buying and selling uh, bonds all the time in, internally. Uh, variable annuities. You know, a lot of folks think annuities don't carry risk, but truthfully, variable annuities – uh, is is one form of an annuity that carries just as much risk as um, as mutual funds uh, and exchange traded funds and just buying uh, stocks uh, separately. So they all carry risk. Now, so what are the things that people do that are considered savings? No risk at all. Well, I'll let you answer that. What do you think? What well, money do you have that's completely safe? No I mean, market risk. Anything in a, uh, a savings account, uh, you could invest in some treasury bonds, that sort of thing. Um, That's right. Yeah, th- those are some pretty safe things. Well, well I mean, I mean, if you uh, really look at it, uh, treasury bonds carry risk. I mean, some, right. not a whole lot, uh, <laughs> but because uh, if you don't hold them to maturity, uh, you you well, you can lose a little bit, but not much. But you're right; they're about as safe as as they can get. But your money in the bank, if it's a bank investment. Now, you know, uh, here's where it gets confusing. A lot of the banks now have investment departments. Mm-hmm. And if you switch from the banking side to the investment side, guess what? You're into a risky area because those investment sides at the bank uh, don't carry FDIC insurance, uh, you know, where your account is insured so that you don't, even if the bank goes belly up, you don't lose your money. Uh, now, if you have your money in a checking account, there's no risk. If you have it in a savings account, there's no risk, um, uh, at least if you don't have too much. You know, as long as you have that FDIC insurance or credit union insurance or savings and loan insurance, and, you know, there's different kinds of variables of the same kind of insurance up to $250,000. So the bottom line is, is even if the bank goes under, your principal is still insured as as long as you don't go over the insurance amount. Uh, 
So money market funds, um, CDs, certificates of deposits, um, again, all of those are perfectly safe. Like you said, treasury bonds are safe as, as the United States government. The, and, of course, that can, that can be pretty scary uh, at, uh, uh, itself um, if you think about it uh, because – do you know? I mean, even though the government—that—that that is, I'm talking about the United States government—is uh, uh, um, in, uh, you know, we consider it as safe as as this country is, but actually, from a, a physical perspective, the United States government is not as safe as Detroit. Wow. <laughs> That's kind of scary. When you think about the debt, Detroit, uh, which of course is known as probably the worst, you know, city for uh, physical behavior in the country, uh, is actually in better shape financially than the United States government. When you're looking at the debt of the country. Uh, and we're continuing to go in deeper debt, unfortunately. So that's just another issue that we're dealing with. But and then fixed annuities are safe. You know, the insurance com- companies guarantee that you will not lose a nickel or even a penny of your investment in a fixed annuity. Uh, and so that is, in essence, uh, a savings type uh, of investment that. Uh, can be extremely helpful. And then there are a lot of folks. Um, now, there is, a, there is a risk, but it's not a market risk when it goes to a fixed annuity. And, and there's a, a one type of annuity that certain people are using now because you get the best of both worlds, and that's a fixed indexed annuity. And there's some, actually some really good ones out there but you still have to be careful because there's a different kind of risk with uh, even fixed indexed annuities. And what that basically means is it's fixed. It's guaranteed not to lose principal. However, the, um, uh, you get the upside with an, whatever index that your investment is using. So you say, well, what's wrong with that? How can I go wrong? Well, the bottom line is annuities are insurance contracts where the insurance company takes control of your money, and there's generally a fairly significant penalty if you want all of your money back. You know, most annuities let you get a little bit of it back, like up to 10% a year without a penalty, but there are an awful lot of folks that have overinvested in uh, some ter- times uh, or some types of fixed or fixed indexed annuities where they put too much of their money in and then they need it back primarily because of long-term care issues and then they end up losing a lot of money because the insurance company penalizes and all the guarantees go away when you liquidate an annuity. So the bottom line is you have to be very careful about how much uh, of your nest egg you, you might be willing to put into an annuity. And, and you see, typically most financial advisors don't understand the long-term care rules when you can actually get assistance for long-term care. Um, so it, it's a pretty – and so a lot of folks aren't going to get the right kind of advice in terms of how much 
of their nest egg to, to even use an annuity for. But, you know, for the right people, they can be um, appropriate uh, and very good, uh, safe um, savings, if you will, uh, with some in- investment side on top of it. So that's uh, a different kind of things. Now, every person, I mean, there's no general rule because every person has different risk issues. Uh, now, as a general rule, as we get older, we should have less risk. But that's not even uh, a true for everyone in itself because folks who have plenty of money and they don't have to worry about having losses um, in the market, you know, because they have plenty of money even if they take a loss and they're never going to run out of money and they're always going to have plenty. Truthfully, they can keep on investing the way they've always invested because they don't really have that same kind of we might run out of money if we lose money in the market kind of situation where most of us are the exact opposite. We have to look at what we have and make sure that we keep it relatively safe as we get older, particularly when we go on a fixed income. And you see, now for me, I think you know uh, most people – should continue working and in, hopefully they enjoy what they do uh, and, until their late 60s, even 70. Uh, but there are an awful lot of folks that say, no, I want to retire at 55. Uh, I want to retire early and have many, 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 many years. Now, obviously, you need a whole lot of money to be able to do that. But um, so everybody's different in terms of how, how much can – now, and then there's an other percentage of folks who can't work, they're disabled, um, you know, or, you know, in this corporate America, there's no guarantee that you're going to be able to keep your job. And sometimes it's very difficult for folks who are in their 50s to find another equal job. So if, if you get let go of from your company and you're a little older, then your ability to find an equivalent paying job is very, very limited. It's really hard. I mean, it's hard for young folks, but it's even harder for, for folks who are, are getting up there in age to find um, a, an equivalent job. So it's, it, these are just real people when, he, when it comes to the issues between um, – saving and investing and and everybody's different so you really have to take a perspective on i'm unique and what's my personal situation yeah and finding that balance is uh, a challenge because as you said everyone's situation is different so mm-hmm. it's going to come down to the individual yep. a quick break and back you're listening to asset protection today with attorney bill alexander on news radio 680 wptf News Radio 680 WPTF. This is Asset Protection Today with Attorney Bill Alexander. You can find more about him at WGALaw.com. That's WGALaw.com. Jason Kong here with Bill Alexander. And Bill, I know you had uh, one final thought that you wanted to get out there when it comes to saving and investing. Well, you know, when I I was talking about safety and and no risk, you know, there's folks out there that might, might say, well, what if the insurance company goes belly up? 
okay, because you know what happens if a bank goes belly up. you got insurance, FDIC, or if it's a credit union, you have the same thing there. If it's a savings and loan, you have the same – you bet you basically have the same kind of insurance at all of those entities that in case uh, there's really bad management like we've seen uh, even in North Carolina – uh, uh, there are banks being closed uh, every day, but people's accounts are protected as long as you're under the amount. But what about an insurance company? Well, the truth is, if you really get down to it, the insurance company rule the roost. They have more money than any other business. Uh, they and The insurance companies are wealthier than most countries, if you get right down to it. Uh, and insurance contracts um, are governed at the state level, you know. And in fact, we're very, very fortunate in North Carolina. And and truth, and this is true around the country for the most part. We have a wonderful Department of Insurance, uh, and they protect those contracts. They make sure that the um, companies that are licensed to do business in North Carolina have reserves. And the truth is the insurance reserves are healthier than, than the FDIC insurance that you have at the bank. So the bottom line is uh, – and and I can also say that at least in North Carolina, I can't speak for other states because I'm not as familiar. But in North Carolina, there's never been a life insurance contract. Uh, even if the insurance company went belly up, there's never been a life insurance contract that wasn't fully paid because the Department of Insurance makes sure that it it uh, happens. Um, and so that's never occurred. But in terms of annuity contracts, you basically uh, – or when you have long-term care insurance, uh, there are a lot of uh, insurance companies that are no longer – uh, underwriting long-term care insurance because it wasn't profitable enough. In other words, the folks who have long-term care policies, uh, they're lucky folks. They, you know, there's still a number of companies out there uh, uh, providing long-term care insurance, but not like there was 10 years ago. A lot of the companies have gotten out of that business. Um, so the bottom line is, if you ha- if you got your long-term care insurance a number of years ago, it's um, it's a darn good uh, policy for the money, and it it would be a very rare case where anyone should ever give up their long-term care insurance, even if their premiums have gone up. And I experienced that myself this past year, and yes, I was just red hot (laughs) about it because I certainly wasn't expecting it, even though I know the dynamics. And the reason I wasn't expecting is I knew the policy that I had for long-term care insurance was underwritten better than many of the policies that were issued years ago. And so I've had a lot of clients who've come to me and said, should I keep my long-term care insurance because they increased my my premiums by 30% or whatever? And in almost every case, it's absolutely you should keep it because it's still a really good deal and you couldn't get anything close to it now. But for seniors on a fixed income, when their policies get increased, it takes a cramp out of their budget. And that's, you know, fortunately for me, I'm still working. So the increase in the premium uh, was not nearly as bad on me as it is on many of my clients. But, you know, it's, it's an issue that you have to look at. But 
the folks who have had long-term care issues just praise the Lord at the fact that they have long-term care insurance. So, uh, and and even now, I'm I'm talking about talking to folks about helping their children and even grandchildren get long-term care insurance. Now it's too late for most seniors. If uh, I mean, it's just too expensive if you don't already have it. So, when's the time to get it? Actually, when you're in your early 50s or 40s, uh, or earlier, because you're healthier then, your premiums will be far lower. Um, and so all of it's um, to your advantage to get it lower. But I got off track. I apologize for that. But the bottom line is is that uh, the insurance companies are actually stronger than the banks when it comes to protecting your money when it when it actually goes into an annuity. So when I said it was safe with uh, annuities as a general rule, a fixed annuity. Now, don't forget, variable annuities have a lot of market risk. That's a totally different animal, totally different type of investment. So don't anyone think that all annuities are safe. They're not. Some are, some are not. And that's really important uh, for folks to understand. Now, do I have time to go into another topic before you break me? No, I'm going to break you, Bill, but we're going to get into the VA right after this, I promise. A quick break and back. We'll be right back. This is Asset Protection Today with Attorney Bill Alexander on News Radio 680 WPTF. To asset protection today with attorney Bill Alexander on News Radio 680 WPTF. Jason Kong here with Bill Alexander, and we've covered a lot of ground this morning. We went over saving and investing, and uh, Bill, we also uh, wanted to talk a little bit about the VA here before we uh, we head out. Uh, it, I would be remiss if I did not again tell my veterans out there because. Uh, and, of course, this is something that we cover in my seminars every month, but my seminars were this past <laughs> Wednesday. So next Wednesday, the 17th of October, is the very last day that uh, veterans who might be eligible for the veterans' pension, which is a long-term care reimbursement program, for war period veterans and their spouses and their widows, next Wednesday is the last day that they can uh, use uh, annuities or transfer property into trusts or to their children in order to qualify for the pension reimbursement. So, um, I mean, unfortunately, uh, and, and and this is a rule that the VA came up with on their own. This is not uh, – a, and, and it's very unfortunate. Uh, I hope it gets overturned in our courts, which it could under by, you know, by a federal court. Uh, and I guarantee you, a, a group that I'm a part of, which is the which is NALA, the National Academy of Elder Law Attorneys is going to be part of a lawsuit to uh, basically turn the VA back to the rules that that Congress actually intended them to have because Congress didn't have any I mean even though there's a lot for us not to like about what goes on in the swamp in Washington or the swamp in Raleigh as far as that goes 
they're not responsible for what the VA actually is imposing on veterans. And these rule changes that the VA um, came up with themselves go into effect next Thursday, the 18th of October. So folks only have three days next week to, to do whatever they're going to do. Um, three days is not enough time typically to get an annuity contract in place uh, unless it's already in the making. Um, in other words, you can't go to an advisor on Monday and typically have an annuity before Wednesday. It just generally doesn't work that way. But if you already have an annuity that's not annuitized, this might be the time to do it if, if you are a family that is a war period veteran. So what do I mean by that? That means a veteran who served in the military during a war period. So some folks ask, well, what does that mean? That means World War II, it means Korea, and it means Vietnam. It does not mean the Cuban Missile Crisis. It doesn't mean the invasion of Panama. It doesn't mean the uh, <laughs> uh, Grenada. It basically uh, means those three war periods, at least through Vietnam. Now, the, the, our desert veterans are uh, included as well, but uh, generally speaking, th this is a long-term care program, so it really is about folks who are older uh, who need long-term care. Uh, so if your veteran and your family served during World War II, Korea, or Vietnam, there's a potential veteran, but um, a potential benefit. That's a reimbursement program. But there are other rules in place. There's an income test that most people don't understand, and there's an asset test that most people don't understand. And unfortunately, the VA typically tells veterans when they ask the VA, is this a benefit that we can get? Most of the, most of the time, they're said, no, you don't qualify, go away. But the fact is, is that veterans until next Thursday can actually transfer property into trusts or other ways so that their property is protected and they can actually meet the asset test and uh, qualify for the program. So it's the kind of thing where you just have to understand what you can do, what your options are, but unfortunately time is very limited. Now, if, I, if I'm predicting right, in two or three years, once this issue goes up through the court system, the courts will probably tell the VA to go back to their original rules. But uh, it's going to take a, a good long time for the courts to actually uh, look uh, at these changes and, um, and put, make the VA do what they should be doing, which is to help veterans. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that would be uh, a nice change if, if that could be implemented and you know we're rooting for this lawsuit i guess to go through because uh it's a shame that uh it, they're making this much well, more challenging well this is why our separation of powers in this country why our judiciary is so important because uh, sometimes the executive branch or the legislative branch overreaches and it's only because of our judicial branch that we have the ability for a court to say, no, you can't do that. So that's one of the things that makes this country strong is our separation of powers and the fact that we can go to the court system 
uh, and um, and sometimes uh, basically make the other branches of government settle down and do what they're supposed to do. Well, good on you, Bill. A quick break and back. You're listening to Asset Protection Today with Attorney Bill Alexander on News Radio 680 WPTF. Welcome back to Asset Protection Today with Attorney Bill Alexander on News Radio 680 WPTF. Uh, Got to get out of here in just a minute, but we want to remind you that you can catch Bill tomorrow morning on the CW22 with his TV show Money Secrets airing tomorrow morning at 8 a.m. And you can also uh, purchase his book off of Amazon. It's also under the title Money Secrets with Bill and Mike. And Bill, any parting shots you want to get out of here before we go? Um, not really, other than the, the folks really need to, to uh, look at their right to vote and, and recognize how precious it is. Uh, I couldn't agree with you more. Uh, we hope that everyone goes out and registers and participates in the midterm elections next month. It's uh, a key time, and we hope that everyone uh, takes advantage of that right that they have and go ahead and exercise that. We would love to see a record turnout for this election. Thank you so much for listening. We are out of time for today. I want to remind you, you can go to WGALaw.com to find out more information about Bill or to book an appointment. You can also call his office at 919 919- Two five six seven thousand. Thank you so much for listening to Asset Protection Today with Attorney Bill Alexander on News Radio 680 WPTF. Have a great weekend.